Warnings abound, don't they? Chances are this morning on your drive-in you saw quite a few warnings, and chances are, if you're like me, you probably ignored them all. Warnings abound. Life is full of them. They're all around us. In fact, because they are all around us, we often don't even recognize them. Warning signs on the road abound. They're everywhere you look. There's a yellow sign after yellow sign after yellow sign warning you that there's a curve in the road coming ahead. Warning you that the bridge may be slippery when it's wet. Warning you that the speed limit is going to slow down ahead and there might be a policeman up there. These warnings abound, but chances are that you drive right through them without giving them much attention because you're used to them, right? Chances are you are used to the drive to St. Paul Lutheran Church. You could probably almost, I'm not going to recommend this, but you could almost do it with your eyes closed. You know right where to turn. You know where the bends in the road will be. You know where those slippery spots are. And so you don't really need the yellow sign on the side of the road. You can just drive on. Warnings abound. And just as much as warnings abound, ignoring warnings also abounds. We ignore warnings because, well, we get used to them, right? The well-traveled road doesn't need a bunch of signs, but there's other reasons why we ignore warnings, aren't there? It could be that the person who gives us warnings gives too many of them. You may be familiar with the term helicopter parent. Do you know what a helicopter parent is? A helicopter parent is one who's constantly warning his or her child, oh, be careful, oh, be careful, oh, don't do that, oh, be careful. Oh. And we usually see it with little children. But I want to tell you about a, a dad who, and this happens with dads quite often, who was a different sort of overwarner. When I was in high school, I worked with my friend uh, for his dad's business. When people's homes would be foreclosed on, his business was to go into those homes and get out all the junk that got left behind. Not really a pleasant job, but I got to see a lot of cool stuff, actually. And Mr. Maxey, that was his last name, Maxey, Mr. Maxey was like a lot of dads. He always ended his sentences with, be safe. It became so common for us to hear Mr. Maxey tell us in the morning, okay, boys, here's the job today. You're going to go to this house, and you're going to do these things. And we always knew how it would end. Be safe. It became so common that it was, it was something of an inside joke between, well, we didn't keep it inside. You know how kids are. They make fun of their parents, and so we would always interrupt Mr. Maxey before he finished his speech with, and don't worry, we'll be safe. But we were 17, 18 years old, and so as soon as we got out of the driveway, we had quickly forgotten about being safe. We did whatever we wanted. We didn't care about being safe. Those words, be safe, be safe, be safe, that helicopter parent who's constantly surrounding the child with, be careful, don't touch that, don't do that, don't go over there, don't do this, overwarning drowns people's ears. There are other reasons why we might ignore warnings as well. Maybe the most common reason why we ignore people's warnings is that because we think we know better. (laughs) So Mr. Maxey gives us a warning about driving safe, and we say, thanks, Mr. Maxey, but we know just what we're doing. So the weatherman says that conditions are right for a tornado, but hey, we all know better than that. That never happens, does it? 
and so we go our way happily. Warnings abound, and if we suppose we know better, then we miss the whole point. Today, you have heard a warning from Jesus. And I don't want that warning to go in one ear and out the other ear, for the warnings of Jesus are never given idly. Jesus is not a helicopter mom. The church is not a helicopter mom. And Jesus is also not some kind of dad who just tacks on, be safe, be safe, at the end of every sentence. Jesus warns you today of something very important. And we'll come to it in just a minute, but I just want you to consider why Jesus speaks with warnings. Warnings are not given, this is the mistake that children often make, warnings are not given to hold you back. Warnings proceed out of love, don't they? Isn't this what motivates the helicopter mom to helicopter around her little child? It's because she doesn't want the kid to hurt himself, and so she thinks, if I just give him enough warnings... Warnings proceed out of love, and with Jesus, it is no different. Because Jesus loves his disciples, because he loves you, he warns you today. So note his warning as one of affection. Note his warning as proceeding from a place of love so that it doesn't just pass through your ears and get ignored like all of the warnings by the side of the road. Jesus' warnings proceed out of love. And if you follow Jesus' teaching in the Gospels, you find that Jesus does not overwarn his disciples. If you look through the Gospels, there are only six times where Jesus explicitly warns his disciples. Now, there's lots of other times where the warning is implicit, where it's not said so clearly, be on your guard. But six times, Jesus says to be careful. He tells his disciples to beware of practicing their righteousness in order to be seen by others. Don't put on a show. He warns his disciples, like we heard today, to beware, be careful about false teachers. He warns his apostles when he sends them out to beware of men who will betray them. Don't think that everything is going to be smooth sailing. And he warns them again in Matthew's gospel to beware of the yeast of hypocrisy. Beware of the yeast of hypocrisy, that is, of just playing a part, of putting on a show, because a little bit of yeast, Jesus says, will quickly spread through the whole lump, and then your whole Christian life will become one of just playing a part. Jesus says to beware if your brother sins against you. He wants his disciples to know how to handle it when someone else sins against them. And he says also to beware of the passions that weigh down your heart. Beware of drunkenness. Beware of the worries and anxieties of this life which would weigh you down and put you to sleep spiritually. Why does Jesus tell us to beware of all of these things? He doesn't speak idly. He speaks out of love. And he speaks because these things are actually dangers to your soul. And Jesus doesn't want any of you to be caught off guard. Jesus does not want you like a child to kind of throw your hands up afterwards and say, man, I didn't know that the stove would be hot. Man, I didn't know that cars might be coming quickly down this road while I was playing in the street. No, Jesus wants his disciples to be mature. He wants you not to go through life in childish ways. He wants you to grow up, to be discerning, to be able to understand the times that are around you so that you would not be carried away 
by something from within or by something from without. So today, Jesus warns you out of love. And what he warns you today, what we want to focus especially on, is this warning about false teachers. Beware of false teachers, we hear Jesus say in Matthew chapter 7. And what Jesus is saying in that, I want you to hear it this way, because maybe you'll remember it if I put it in a provoking way. What Jesus is telling you to do is to discriminate. Make sure that you heard me right. Jesus wants you to discriminate. Now, usually when we hear that word, we don't want to discriminate, right? It is wrong to discriminate against someone simply because of the color of their skin. It is wrong to discriminate against one person for some useless reason. But to become undiscriminating, to become completely undiscriminating, is no virtue in and of itself. Beware of false teachers, Jesus says. That means be awake, Be awake and be able to discriminate, to discern, maybe we can put it in a little more mild manner. Be able to discern what you are hearing. Be able to discern the truth from the lie. In the time of Jeremiah, there was lots of lies that were being prophesied. I have a dream, I have a dream, said the prophets, and they filled the air of Israel with their empty words, and the people were carried along by empty words. They couldn't discriminate. They couldn't tell the truth from the lie. And so they forgot the name of the Lord. They were carried away into empty things. Now, that doesn't mean that they couldn't say the words Lord anymore or that they forgot that they were Israelites, people of Yahweh. But what they forgot was who God truly was. And the danger of that, of not remembering who the Lord is, is that you would be carried off into a dream. How many people pass through the world living in a dream? How many people pass through this world, instead of dealing with life as it really is, dealing with life as they wish it would be, as they dream that it could be? Oh, wouldn't it be great if everything just somehow worked out? Wouldn't it be nice if I didn't have to think about matters of eternal consequence? It'll all be fine. It'll all be well. I'll do what I want now, and God will somehow, some way, work it out in the end. It doesn't matter so much. People pass through life in this dream-like state, only to be wakened at the end to an awful reality. Jesus does not want you to go through life in a dream. He does not want you to be undiscerning, to be unable to discriminate between truth and falsehood. And so he gives warnings to wake you up, to be cautious, to be alert, to be awake, to be alive to the truth so that you can resist what is false. But it's hard, isn't it? It's hard to discriminate. It's hard work to discern what you read and what you hear. It would be much easier if that was all done for you. It would be much easier, wouldn't it, if there was like, you know, robo-pastors. If you could have an automatic pastor who could be programmed by some central agency, say in St. Louis or in Fort Wayne, you know, whose sermons could just be programmed into them and you could just press one for a good sermon and you could press two for some nice comforting words and you could press three to have that robo-pastor pray for you. Wouldn't that be nice if you didn't have to discern at all, if spiritual things could just be put on automatic. I suppose it might be nice until, until what? 
until the programming goes wrong, until you actually need to talk to someone. Haven't you had this experience? You call customer service and you wait on the line and you're like, oh, just let me speak to a customer service representative. What are the magic words so that I can speak to an actual person? That didn't happen to me this week, by the way. But you know that frustration. Jesus does not send us auto pastors. He does not send us robo teachers. Thank God. He sends us men. He sends us men who will speak his word in our ears. He sends us men, and part of what happens then is that those men can be good teachers or they can be false ones. And so you need to be aware of that. Not every sermon is automatically good. Not every pastor who says, I'm a Christian, is automatically going to tell you the truth. You need to be able to discern. Now, if only... If only we had some kind of filter, right? If only we had some kind of, I don't know, like a simple explanation of Christianity. If only we had like a grammar book that was like what every Christian should know and be able to use, wouldn't that be really useful? Wouldn't that be a really great filter if we had something like that? Like, say like a little book of simple questions and simple answers that like maybe went through the Ten Commandments you know, the basics of God's law, and maybe went through the Apostles' Creed, you know, the basics of who God is, and maybe went through the basics of the Lord's Prayer, you know, something that would ask, like, what does this mean? What does this mean? Wouldn't it be really great to have a filter like that so that you could compare what your teacher is saying with what God himself says? Wouldn't it be nice if there was some kind of a little manual full of questions and answers about holy baptism, about confession and absolution, about the sacrament of the altar. Wouldn't it be great to have a filter like that? Most of you are smiling because you know the answer to that is that we have such a thing. You have the small catechism, which is simply what I just described, a filter for hearing God's word, a filter that you can use to evaluate what you are hearing from me, from any other pastor, from any other person who fills your ears with teaching. You have that filter. Put it to good use. Put it to good use. Learn your catechism. Return to it again and again and again. And if you don't have one, if you don't have that manual, if you don't have that basic Christian grammar, please see me after service and I'll make sure that you have it. But Jesus also wants us to not just be discerning about what pastors say, Because you can say all the right things and do all the wrong things, can't you? And just as you can say all the right things and do all the wrong things and so undo everything that you say, pastors can do it too. The warning that Jesus gives about false teachers is especially about those who would say one thing and do something else. Those are the pastors who are wolves in sheep's clothing, who say, Lord, Lord, who say, yes, we want to teach the small catechism, but whose life gives a completely different picture. Jesus wants you to be alert to the fact that there may be some who can put on a good show, that there may be teachers who can say the right thing to you, but then in their life show you something completely different. Jesus wants you to discriminate, to discern between those true teachers and the false teachers. He wants you to actually watch your pastor's life, not in an overly discriminating way, right? Not like, oh man, 
he didn't shave this morning, so I don't want to listen to him anymore. Or I don't like the way his hair looks, or I don't like the way that he's wearing those clothes, or I don't like the kind of car that he drives. That is over-discrimination. But Jesus does want you to watch the outcome of your teacher's life to see if what he says matches what he does. St. Paul's epistles give us a picture of what a good teacher ought to be. 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, Titus, these are called the pastoral epistles. And in those epistles, St. Paul says, here's what to look for in a pastor, in a man who wants to be a pastor. He gives warnings about men who are greedy for money. He gives warnings about men whose lives are completely disorganized, whose households are all out of whack. If you see that kind of thing in your teacher, something is amiss. Something has gone wrong. And you should be discriminating. You should be discerning between what a pastor says and how it matches up with what he does. Now, I say all of these things with great trepidation because what I'm saying is that you should watch me, right? We're not talking about some other pastor in some other place far, far away. We are talking about the pastor in this place, your pastor. You should watch what I do, not in an overly discriminating way, not in a way to nitpick me and my life, but you should see if what I say and what I teach matches up with what I do. Because here's the wonderful reality. Christianity is not just information that we share. The job of a teacher is not just to communicate some facts. Here's some facts about God. Here's some facts about what God says. No, Christianity is a whole way of life. What is it that Jesus said? I am the way and the truth and the life. And those who are disciples of Christ Jesus learn from him not just facts, But what we learn from him is a whole way of life, the holy life of faith in Christ and love for our neighbor. Teachers and students have this wonderful, wonderful thing that they imitate one another. Students imitate those who teach them. They don't just get information. And congregations imitate their pastors. They follow in their examples. They become like those who teach them. So be careful who you are following. Be careful who you are listening to. Watch the outcome of what they say and filter it through the small catechism and also watch and see if what they do matches up with what they say. Jesus gives us this warning because he does not want us to be lost. He does not want us to pass through this life saying all the right things but living in a completely different way because in the end, in the end, we will wake up to him. And we do not want to hear what he says to those false teachers. I never knew you. Christ Jesus gives us this warning about who we follow, about who we listen to, about who we imitate, because he wants us all to be recognized on the last day, not as workers of lawlessness, but as those who do the will of the Father. And the will of the Father is this, that you would hear the truth of Christ Jesus, that you would hear what he has done for you, that you would know how he loves you, and that you would follow in his footsteps all the days of your life. Warnings abound, and ignoring warnings also abounds. But let today be a day where you hear Christ's warning, you take it to heart, and you learn to discern between truth and falsehood so that on the last day you may hear Christ Jesus say to you, come, 
inherit the kingdom that has been prepared for you from before the foundation of the world. Enter into my Father's joy. To Christ be the glory now and always. Amen.